How in the world did Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey end up in the Book of Mormon? Shocking development it is to find that what Joseph Campbell discovered in the 60s and 70s about the hero's journey that seems to take place in all of classic literature shows up with Ammon and King Lamoni in the Book of Mormon and ultimately results in the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. The story's perfect, and a fascinating discussion comes as we take a look at the hero's journey and the plan of salvation as it plays out in one of the most remarkable group of people ever encountered in the Book of Mormon. Join us today and find out. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Okay, well, welcome, welcome to uh, today's class. Um, this is one of those, this is one of those days, it happens occasionally, it drives me a little bit nuts when it does. Uh, when I get to the, uh, I usually run over to my office uh, about an hour and a half before class, and I, uh, I put together a really nice lesson for today, and then I sat down uh, first thing this morning when I got to the office while I'm eating my breakfast, and I went, no, wrong class. <laughs> oh, wrong class. I'm looking through, no, the, no. And so, so you're getting the updated version as of an hour ago. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how well that works. I can't, I can't vouch for anything, uh, but some ideas, uh, particularly as it comes. And, you know, you hope that it's not just being fickle. You hope that's the spirit saying, no, that they need this one. So, um, all right, so I've kind of told this story a little bit before, uh, and that is, oh, thank you. Okay, we're gonna try this again. Here we are. Okay. One of the things that uh, when I was in uh, graduate school, one of the questions that we had early and often uh, as we studied different theories and as we tried to understand kind of human psychology uh, from the standpoint of graduate students who knew next to nothing on this uh, was, was this question, how and why do people change? And you get to go through all of the psychology classes of, well, Freud said, and Adler said, and Jung said, and Rogers said, and 
Jesus said, and what, you know, why do people change? And basically, like I tell my, uh, my interns with me is you got to figure this out why you think and the reasons why people change because if they're doing things that are destructive or they're not happy or they're not healthy and they need to do things differently why are they doing what they're doing and what would it take to get them to change and do something differently and so often it's a part of it has to do with how do they frame their, their problem like one of my professors used to say how you see the problem is the problem you know, and if you're going to, sometimes you're not changing because you see the problem one way and the problem is actually something different. So how you see the problem is the problem. Uh, so, so one of those things, one of those fun little exercises on the part of wet behind the ears, know nothing graduate students is, well, what do you believe and what do you think? And then let's talk about it endlessly, why it is that you think that or, you know, why you think Freud might have had something and where he kind of went off the rails and, I think this. Well, I think that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so we just kind of go back and forth. Um, let me tell you the one that when I was in graduate school and even to this day still resonates with me uh, a lot. And it's still something that I, I recognize. Uh, and some of you that are uh, a little bit older gonna, are going to kind of remember this time of uh, life. And that is that I became enamored uh, at the time of in graduate school, I became enamored with uh, Joseph Campbell, who was doing a lot on what he called the hero's journey. And uh, Campbell, uh, just to give you a little background, teaching at uh, Stanford, he called himself a mythologist. So he went out and studied all of the myths of the Eskimos and Native Americans and the Greeks and the Norse people and all of these people. And he said, man, they keep telling the same story over and over and over. And so he wrote, a, he wrote a pretty powerful book called Hero of a Thousand Faces. And he talked about the hero's journey, about how the hero goes through these things and all of the standard things. And, and as a side note, uh, I think most of you know this. Um, when he was teaching at Stanford, he had a young uh, student in his class by the name of George Lucas. And, and Lucas kind of absorbed all of Campbell's teachings. And then when he started putting a screenplay together, he used all of Campbell's mythology pattern to create Star Wars. And Star Wars is, is really, if you stand back and look at it, it's really Campbell's hero's journey in the way that he told it. And Campbell put it together this way. And there, there, and there's, there's a number of elements here, but this is just kind of what he said. Um, you know, he talked about how there's an initial call to adventure by, by a, a person. They get some kind of supernatural aid. Now they have to go on a quest or a journey. That's why it's the hero's journey. Uh, oftentimes it's a reluctant hero. He's not sure he wants to go. Um, then there's a threshold where he starts. He picks up mentors and helpers. They're going to help him on his way. Uh, the helpers, by the way, usually there's a warrior helper and a wise helper and the comic relief helper. Uh, generally, there's a tricksy helper that talks in 
poems or weirdness, but it turns out to be the wisest of all of them, even though he's kind of a goofy and sometimes he's small and sometimes he's, okay. So then he's going to have to go through a series of challenges and hurdles and hoops and trials. Uh, and, and in order to do that, and then there's a moment in his journey uh, before where he has to go through a transformation. And a lot of times he'll go through dark period or he's got, and ultimately he's going to confront himself. So part of this transformation from uh, reluctant uh, neophyte to hero that saves the day is that the, the biggest challenge that he faces is actually himself in this revelation. Then there's a transformation, uh, and then he's going to kind of transform. He's got to atone for some things, and then he'll accomplish the thing, and oftentimes it's a goddess or a woman or something like that that gives him the gift, okay? Now, does that sound like Star Wars? What else does that sound like? Lord of the Rings? Gilgamesh. Hold on. Don't go there. I knew you would. So, shush. Okay. I was ex- actually, I was expecting that from you right about now. I, and I should have said, what I should have said, Brent, was like, okay, I'm going somewhere. Shut up. Because <laughs> I know where you're going to go, and you're always beating my lesson by about 10 slides. Um, okay. So, so, Lord of the Rings, uh, Huckleberry Finn. Um, by the way, can you think of a piece of cladic classic literature that doesn't really kind of follow the pattern oh yes sinbad and the seven in whatever's okay greek mythology roman mythology follows this a lot so it's just it's interesting that he found it in antiquity over and over and over and then it, like i said go study the hopi or he go study the 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 mayas and he'd go wow they just keep telling the same story the the uh, Bob, Bob, yes it is Bob, yeah uh i'm thinking of the heroic twins in in uh, among the maya uh that that uh romulus and ramus rome yeah see it just it's just there and he went wow okay so he put together this thing and and basically what it's going to end up doing is well, first, let me tell you. So based on that, I got enamored with that. And so in my early years, uh, and right in the middle of all this, I, we, we took our hospital, took a group of uh, teenagers out on a high adventure ropes course. And I went, aha, <laughs> I have found it. Because ultimately, the, the high adventure ropes course, which is a series of events and things like that. Each one is kind of cool, but if you put it together as a hero's journey, then suddenly it became something almost mystical. And so I started doing high adventure ropes courses, both for the hospital and privately and stuff like that, got trained in it. And I did this for years uh, and tried to use the events in there and then tried to draw on kind of hero's journey stuff to find out what they were thinking, why they were doing what they were doing, and how to help them be different. Isn't that what successful treks are and what successful high adventures are? Well, it could be that even the the trek, you know, the 
pioneer journey becomes a hero's journey. You see the same thing. But you're right. When, when we're doing those kind of things like trick. We're trying to accomplish this. Yes, right? Uh, and so, so I started doing these things. By the way, let me tell you one that I did with, uh, I, think, I think it was with Plano years ago, uh, where I was asked to, to do something for girls camp. And, and, and so what I did is I said, would you do something? I says, yeah, I've got a blind maze that I think would work pretty well. Teach some principles for these girls. Okay. But I said, what do you, part of, you utilize these, these tasks, but you want to find out what you're trying to accomplish. So I asked the, I asked the uh, young women's leaders, what are you trying to get done here? And they says, well, they've kind of been disjointed. We'd like them to be more unified. Sometimes like the, the laurels aren't really working well with the Maya maids and, and uh, could we want to get them together? And I said, ah, okay, I can manipulate an experiential activity in a way that I think will get this accomplished. Okay. So as it turned out on that day, I'd set up this beautiful blind maze all over the trees. And it was like, uh, down underneath the log, a single rope going along there. It's a maze, but they're going to be blindfolded. And they're going to have to follow it. Okay. And I did it all in the trees and it was wonderful. Then it started to rain. This is not so wonderful. <laughs> so, so what I did is I said, what do we got? And they said, well, there is kind of a gym area and it's got like some bleachers and it's got chairs. There's a piano. As so I went in and looked around, I said, okay, I think I can create something in here. So I took down all my ropes. I ran in there. It took me about 30 minutes to set up a blind maze in the gym all over the place in this thing. Uh, and then what I did is that we, I had them get into groups of about three or four or five. And we blindfolded them. And, the, and so I was going to have them do it as a team. You're gonna, so I would say to like a group of four or five, Okay, after it's all blindfolded, this is a lifeline. This is just like your life. Follow this as a group, and you'll know that somebody is, that you're at the end when somebody's there for you. Ah, and off they went, okay? So these girls, uh, uh, so and I love the fact they're talking to each other. Okay, where are we going? Okay, we're doing this, we're doing this. Uh, and, and they're following this thing along. And then I had a place where the rope split and one went off into the maze. The other one uh, had dead ends. <laughs> I put dead ends in the thing. And so there was a dead end. There, there was a, a T-junction and you'll go this one into the maze and the other one to a dead end. And the dead end went up the bleachers. And I tied it off at the top of the bleachers. Okay. So... <laughs> So I watched, I watched this group of girls, uh, primarily a bunch of beehives, and, and they're like, okay, there's a T-junction, the one in front. Oh, yeah, T-junction. Okay, now what are we doing? Okay, let's go to the – it goes left, it goes right. We'll just pick one. Okay, you know, what, I'm going, okay we're going this one, going right, okay, which was to the dead end. So, so this group of girls, they go, oh, there's, there's steps, and they start all blindfolded, all kind of climbing up the bleachers to there and finally they got up to the top and the girl goes well it just ties off is there anything up no they're just talking no really no what do we do what do we do and and at that moment i was standing back with the young women's leaders and i said watch this this will be good 
I'm going to, let's see what they're going to do. This, this ought to be really good. Um, and so the whole group, uh, they think, what do we do? I don't know. We're lost. And finally, the one girl goes, I know, let's pray. <laughs> and so they all kneel down on the bleachers and, and they're going to, they offer a prayer to Heavenly Father, help us to know how to get past this, which on one level was really kind of cool. On the other level, with my, with my young women's leader, they're like, we can't do that. What are we doing? Oh my gosh, what are we, you know, and they're wanting to go. Get, I said, hold on, hold, 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 hold. I got this. <laughs> okay. And so I walked over, I carefully crept up the bleachers and I got to the girl that was leading the prayer. <laughs> And I and I whispered in her ear, it's a dead end, go back. <laughs> and she goes, I got an answer. I got an answer, it's a dead end. <laughs> really? Yeah, it says we're supposed to go back. Oh, wow, this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was on uh, the testimony meeting. <laughs> Jim was awesome. Yes, they did. I heard the still small voice. <laughs> They go back down. Okay, here's the other way. They go the opposite direction, and, and they had a really good experience. Because for me, the, the best part was always the testimony meeting. So what did you learn? The still small voice can speak to you, <laughs> and it'll tell you to go back. And I says, yeah, why would it go back? Well, there was nothing there for us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the point. It's a dead end. Go back. Um, and, and you, you had these kind of experiences when you would set up the right dynamic uh, because with, with the, the log cross here where I would get people up in uh, and they, they would start at one side and I would say, this is, your, this is your life. I want you to put at the other end what you want most in your life, whether it's sobriety or better marriage or life without depression or whatever, get rid of the addiction whatever it was, go get it. And that, now the rope would come down and I'd be on belay underneath them. Okay, they're not going to fall. I got them. Okay, but that meant while they're walking, I'm walking underneath them just in case, right? Well, the problem is a lot of times I, when I had my private clients that I would have up there, I knew what their stuff was. <laughs> so they start walking across this thing and I would say, you know, my dad never really loved me that much. <laughs> I think I failed at most of the things I've really done, you know, and I would just really start hitting their, their heavier issues. And it was all, and it was predictable. When I would start throwing up the, the head garbage that they would have, they would take about two steps and they would stop and then they would look down. And I knew that's when I had them. <laughs> Because then, like Peter walking on the water, they go, wow, I'm up here a long ways. Because this is usually like 40 feet up. It's high. It's high. Okay. And then they would wobble. And then I would cinch up my belay line just a little bit because I knew what was coming. And they would go, and they would fall off. I always they would fall off. Oh, as, as soon as I started putting up their head messages, they would fall off. And then I would slowly bring him down. Okay, come on down. What happened? Well, I was doing fine. Then what happened? Well, I, then I was listening to you. You listen to me or you're listening to your head. Okay, this is your life. This is what you do over and over and over all the time. You get going. You listen to the, 
crap in your head from past stuff, past history, people that were harsh on you, trauma stuff, and then you fall. This is your life. Now, uh, and they go, oh, I did, and I said, okay, now, but in this case, you're going back up. Really? Yeah, you're going back up. <laughs> Only this time, don't, don't listen to me. You stay focused. Uh, like Peter, when Jesus said, you know, watch me, follow me. Don't look down, look at me. I said, you look at what you really want. And then climb back up. And then I would start going, okay. Uh, my mom always told me I'd never amount to anything. <laughs> and, uh, and almost always they go, I'm not listening to you. I want that. <laughs> and they would just walk over there and they, they'd get there. And I'd go, wow, it's cool. Yes. Wow, I did it. You mean so life is as simple as not listening to this stuff and just, yes. Don't make it more complicated than what it is. Listen to the still small voice, not me. <laughs> sort of thing. So anyway. Um, so anyway, but it, it was really kind of based on Campbell's uh, hero's journey stuff. So in a nutshell, uh, like somebody who tried to spoil this thing. The hero's journey is actually the plan of salvation, right? Uh, because we are, we are the heroes to a certain extent. We're the ones that are coming down. But also Jesus is the hero in this. And we're supposed to be like him. So the hero's journey is the plan of salvation. And the hero in all of this is actually Christ. It's his journey. And one of the things that we get, the beauty of what we get in the scriptures is that we get Christ figures all over the place who are acting like Christ. We see Christ in the New Testament uh, and, and in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenant. We see Christ acting in the hero role but then he says, be like me. Father, make them one in me as I am in thee. Make them like me. My job will be to make them like, like uh, C.S. Lewis says, he wants to make you into little Christs, is, is what uh, C.S. Lewis used to frame it. Acting in the hero role? No, that's how we roll. That's <laughs> true. Oh, that's, that's nice. Yes. I would, but I won't. I'll drive the, it's the hero role. We are invited, I got role better the second time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're invited into that role as he helps us become like he is. So where he runs a hero's journey, so do we. Okay. And guess what? This part of the Book of Mormon, the, one of the clearest examples that we have of Christ figures is Ammon. Okay, yeah. So normally in the hero's journey, the hero starts out and his quest soon becomes something to make the environment better for his society. Yeah. Okay. In the plan of salvation, 
what we don't recognize is that we're all repaired. There is no Yes, that's true. Is that true? In the, in, the, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the real parable is all the seed that was available was tares wheat. And Christ provided an environment where we can become wheat. Yeah. So, so it, it's so true. But in Hamlin's example, he's not trying to make an environment better for his society. You don't think? No, he's trying to, he's expanding his definition of, of his society. He's recognizing who his neighbor is. Right. But if he can, but if he can, if he can change the nature of the Lamanite. He's trying to change the Lamanite society. He is. And if he does that, they'll quit attacking the Nephite. But that's it, not his goal. Not initially. But I think that's, I mean, if you read what he's saying is he's, he's aware of their warlike nature and stuff like that. But his big fear, as it is for Lamona. Yeah. And if he does that, then he, get, then he gets to save them from the awful thing. As, as the, as, as the they're, they're saying, we were saved from hell. And, and like Alma's running around saying he couldn't bear the thought that somebody might have gone through his stuff, right? So is it, if we change us, society gets changed. You're right. If we, if we, we just have to recognize that we have been tears, but that's why the atonement is about transformation. It's about changing from what we were to what we can be and becoming different. And that's what heroes do, even though the seed of it was there all along. So, so think about, think about Ammon specifically. And, and you'll see kind of the hero's journey stuff starting to emerge here. You start off with a highborn son. He's, he's royalty. He's, he's the king's son. And, and it's true of all the sons of Ammon, but I'm going to pick on Ammon particularly on this one. It's a, it's a risk. It's a sacrifice. Yeah. I think that the columnist not going to We actually could. And you're, that's why I say you're going, to watch, you're going to watch how this all plays out. He has a love for a lost group of people. And he's, so he's leading by love, but he's fearful of what's going to happen to them. And think about it. In the Nephite view of things... <clears throat> Without an understanding of the of the, the the Elijah, Elijah is yet to come, <laughs> or maybe he has come. He's come. He's come. Oh, no. That's why I'm I'm trying to think. And this is this is like 148 BC. I'm trying to think. I don't know when Elijah comes, but the spirit of Elijah. Well, I know, but but I mean when he actually lived on the earth. I, I don't I don't know time wise. Yeah. But, but at the very least, they don't know anything about temple work. They don't know anything about the possibilities. All they know is Alma saying, hey, when you're dead, man, this is the, this is the life. And, and King Benjamin says there's no mercy in the life to come. Mercy has no claim. They, they don't know. Now, by the time we get to the Savior, you're going to watch a different language occurring. But you're watching a people learn as they go. But there's a love for a lost group of people. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? So he's actually, like you say, there's a lot to lose here. Um, so he volunteers 
He turns down the kingship and he volunteers to go save, to go reclaim this people. And, and what were we hearing before? The, the Mormon's commentary on, on the people he's going to reclaim. How does he describe them? Loathsome. Loathsome. Yeah. And they're fro- blood and, and, and lazy. You know, they'd rather steal. I mean, just all of these things. And he's going to, and he's going, I think they can be saved. And the Nephites are going, you're out of your freaking mind. Do you really, I don't think you even make it past first base. I think you get halfway in there. I think they kill you on the spot. Now they might respect your sword, I guess, but, um, so he's gonna he's gonna go home to reclaim them. So he spends time preparing himself. And and remember when they're in the wilderness before they start, we go we got this whole period of time where they're fasting and praying and preparing, and he's giving blessings to everybody. We're getting ready because we know we're up against this. But the journey, the battle is worth the battle. So we're we're gonna do this. So he spends time preparing. He's going to gather others for help. There wasn't just four of them. It says they gathered a group of them. So we're not going to do this alone. He's going to gather other people around him. And he's going to enter their world as a lowly servant. Now, doesn't that look like Christ? That's Ammon. But man, doesn't that look... That's why I say Christ is the great exemplar of, of all of this. And I think it's just really cool. Okay. All right. Comments on this so far? This sort of makes sense. <laughs> yes, it is. It is understated. It's, it's reclaim and return. It's already. And and by the way, like, because I'll tell you why this becomes so salient. Uh, when uh, uh, I wrote a book a number of years ago called Bearing Our Swords, and it was really kind of based on the anti-Nephi-Lehites. And the more I studied these guys, the more I realized outside of the um, third Nephi, the coming of Christ, I think the, th- I think the anti-Nephi-Lehites are the story. <laughs> Of the Book of Mormon, that's like the, almost like the central story of how it can work and what will it look like. I just think they are so key, and so we're actually starting from a point of over here going. There's a group of people in the Book of Mormon that don't ever fall away. Wow. Okay. So how they get there, and how were they taught, and how how did that work, and what was said to them that got them to this point, and what was there about them? And they're just, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's to me are just this amazing story. And at the head of that is people like Ammon and Helaman that are going to somehow be servant leaders for these guys to teach them how to make this transition from loathsome people to people that will allow themselves to, like you say, they're willing to give up everything. You know, I won't fight you. Kill me. 
I'm just going to kneel and you'll slaughter me. Because I believe that much that I think there's a chance we can save you, even if it comes at the cost of my own life. They recognize the stewardship, too. They, they don't come out with this, I'm not going to submit, kill me. They come out with this, I have a better way. Yeah. But I'm willing yeah. yeah, I would rather not die. But if there's, you know, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, that would be nice. But if if this is what must happen, and it does, yeah. But, but it's also them emphatically stating, we have made a covenant and we will not break it. Yeah. Because yeah. they were willing to let their sons go and fight because their sons had not made the covenant That's right. because they hadn't had. That's right. For redemption that these people had. Right. Th these guys, again, at the end of the day, and we'll get more into this uh, in, our, in our next class, is like, no, our, our swords are stained. And, and we have been here and we've been redeemed. We've been changed in spite of that. So we're going to stick to our covenant because we believe that our eternal salvation depends on us keeping our covenants. But, but it's not that they didn't believe in fighting for both of them. They definitely believed in that. They just had made a covenant that they wouldn't do a certain thing. Yeah. And they would not break it. Yeah. Okay. So. And here's what they find, by the way. Here's the challenge, I think, for all heroes, is that you're trying to change a people that you find they're, and it turns out they're actually good people, but but they're actually acting. They do things based on false traditions. It's it's like it's it's all they know. It's what they know. That's that's all that. So they're just. We may not like what they're doing, but this is what they've been taught. This is what their fathers did. There's reason why they're doing what they're doing. Even back generations, there's reasons why they're doing it. But it's it, they're false traditions. Oh boy, isn't that the truth? Every one of us do things based on traditions. Oh. It's interesting as I watch, especially the, uh, uh, the young people in the YSA ward, and I watch them get baptized, you know, and they come in. They're at a younger age, usually, than sometimes we see in family wards, but here they are. And you watch the traditions that they have been living by. Uh, and then, uh, but then that's all, then I, but then I'm also watching those that have grew up in the church and it's amazing sometimes some of the traditions that they have carried that sometimes are a bit inaccurate, uh, you know, that, uh, sometimes those that are struggling came from homes where the gospel was taught with an iron fist. The gospel of love was taught with a hammer. Or the gospel of love was taught with a big guilt stick. If you don't, if you don't come to church, Jesus is going to be sad, you know, and our heavenly Father is going to be mad at you, or, you know, or, you know, uh, he, yes, that's what you got, wasn't it? God will pinch you. Yeah. <laughs> free agency and how to enforce it. I love it. Yeah. 
you can use your agency, but I'm telling you what, here's what's going to happen to you if you. Over and over and over. But because, but I love you. That's why we're doing it. That's right. We're doing this out of love. Bless your heart. Now bend over. <laughs> you know, here it here it comes, right? Okay. So 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 with that with that as a backdrop. Um Yeah. Yes. How's that for a shocking <laughs> little bit of hutzpah, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, let's see. No, I should do. I should do Alma, shouldn't I? I should do. I should really do Alma. Yeah. Okay. This is. This is. Now, there's a there's a wonderful little thing here that's happened. If you if, and if you just think it through. I just love how this works, okay? Um, uh, and because we talked about last time how how uh, the guys are showing up with the arms, and we don't know if that's arms like the Mayan clubs, war clubs, or if they're actually arms. And you can, either way, I guess it's it kind of gets the point across, okay? Um, it, it's a little... It, Primary guys like it, the, the primary boys like it a lot better if it's like gory arms with blood all over the place. That's really cool. Okay. Now, so, so here it is in 13 or in three. Okay. So this is where the, this is where the questioning begins and, and it starts. They answered the king and said, whether Ammon be the great spirit or a man, we don't know. But what we do know is that he can't be slain by the enemies, meaning he has great power, something supernatural about this guy. Because in that society, it's about power. Who has the power? The king has the power. Um, wherefore, but, he's, but he's, using, he's using the power to do what? Gather the flocks, like you were talking about last time. He's... Other people are coming along and scattering the flocks. A very Christ-like thing to do. He's going to start, he's gathering the flocks and protecting the people. Wow. Okay. So because of that, we know he's a friend of the king. Yeah, and they're going back to the living water. So he's seeing that. The, the parable is just rich, right? He's a friend of the king. We know that he a man has great power. We just know he can't be slain. Now, look at look at the problem here. And I just, I just love this. King heard these words. Here's what he says to them. So there's a conversation between the king and the guys. And it's like kind of him thinking out loud. Now, I know that it is the great spirit. Only the great spirit would have this kind of power. So the great spirit has actually come among us. Wow. Because nobody else can do what he's doing. And he's come down at this time to preserve your life. Wait a minute. The great spirit came and he's protecting you guys. Yeah. Dang. Wow. That he might not slay you as what? As I did your brethren. So the tradition was, if you don't protect the flocks, 
and we and this little game that we play with the other brethren, the other groups. They're all a, I'm king of all of these guys. But the game here is that if you guys are going to come in and if they're going to scatter the flocks, I kill you. Wow. Okay. That I might not slay you as I did your brethren. Now, this is the great spirit of whom our fathers have spoken. Now, you have to look at, at the next line to understand that phrase. Notwithstanding, now, now this is a tradition of Lamoni. This is the traditions that he's carried with him from his father. And we get to meet his father before too long. And you get to see, oh yeah, this is what the father's traditions are. This is the tradition of, of Lamoni, which he'd received from his father, that there was a great spirit. Oh, these guys believe in a higher power. But what is it that the higher power has taught them? What is, the, what is it that the higher power, the, the great spirit, wants from them? And it's all good. See, there's the there's the thing. Notwithstanding, they believed in a great spirit. They supposed that whatsoever thing they did was right, especially if you're the king. Yes, I slayed your brethren, but the great spirit says that's okay. That's that's okay. That's the tradition. Why? Because I did it. And what I do, the great spirit sanctions, or this is what the great spirit wants me to do. So whatever I do, then it's okay. Now, but here's the problem, okay? So I've been killing off, off your brethren, so I thought that was right. But wait. So th this is where, where we get what I call paradigm rupture. <laughs> This is when suddenly your world gets shaken a little bit. And it certainly was for Lamoni. And this is what shook him out and got him willing to listen. Nevertheless, Lamoni began to fear exceedingly. Why? With fear that, wait a minute, lest he had done wrong in slaying his servants. Uh-oh. What if what you've been doing for a long time, you think God says is okay, but then you maybe get information that says maybe it's not okay. <laughs> you thought you were right, and then it turns out you're not. <laughs> it's like when I get ready to walk out the door, and, and Cindy will say, you are not planning on wearing that, are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I was sort of planning on wearing that. And she'll go, no. <laughs> You're not wearing that. You need to go put something else. I like this. It's my favorite shirt. No. Okay. <laughs> Turned out I was wrong. Yeah. So I think it's important for us to recognize here that uh, all of that stuff in the middle is a total misunderstanding. Yeah, okay. but it's based on a tradition. It's, they came by it, honestly, I mean, right? Has this misunderstanding. Right. And as he processes this misunderstanding, it is a sanctifying process. Yeah. So. What's a sanctifying process? The way that he evaluates what's going on in his life. Uh, and 
he deals with this uh, great spirit conundrum. He becomes sanctified through through what working through it. Yes. But even though yes, even though the model he has is not correct, and so sometimes we can become sanctified by what by uh, pondering. Even if we don't understand. Can we be sanctified by doubts? Yes. That's, I think that's the point. Jo Joseph was sanct became sanctified because he had doubts. I, one of the things that we have done in the church sometimes, and I think it's part of our tradition, especially if you grew up in the obedient 80s, was to not doubt. You're not supposed to have doubts. But one of the things that I'm finding, I mean, somebody will come in to my office and say, and it just happened just this week. Well, I'm having doubts. Good. And I'm, yes, that's what I said. Congratulations. I'm not supposed to have doubts. I say, well, part, if you're going to challenge some things, and if we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, as embodied in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is true, then investigate the heck out of this thing. Your doubts may lead you to, and I, and, and I would say to a deeper understanding, but I love the term sanctifying. I think it's a sanctifying moment. If the doubt, if the doubt says, and this is investigate the church. Now, if the doubt says, I can't believe anything the church says, so I'm not listening to any of their voices. So the only voices I'm going to listen to are podcasts and, and websites that are critical of the church. That's not a search for truth. That's just a search to try and bolster what you already think you believe. But if I'm going to, if I'm, in, a, in other words, if I really want to understand the Dallas Cowboys, I don't go to the Philadelphia Eagles to find out. But, but it, yeah. it can be important for us when we have a sanctifying experience yeah. to not make the assumption that all of the thoughts that we have regarding that experience are accurate. Yeah. We were watching uh, The Chosen. Yeah. Okay. For me, it's been very sanctifying. It is very sanctifying. But I see all kinds of false doctrine and made up history there. Sure. Sure. Uh, should I quit watching it because it's got uh, fiction in it? Hmm. Or because some of the doctrine is, is incorrect? It's still sanctifying, but I need to be able to sort out. Yeah, see, I, see it, see I'm it for learning. what it is. Yeah, and that's and that some of those and that some of those messages coming through in the chosen, you know, things like with all with all the other things, things like I was one way, now I'm another. He was the difference. <laughs> Can't argue with that. There's a lot of true doctrine. There is a lot of true doctrine, uh, but I just so so I, I I love that point, guys. There is a point at which. If we're taking a look at our traditions and it brings up some doubts, terrific. But the question is, what do we do with doubts? Um, I, I had a in a ward conference or ward council yesterday, Brent. I had this discussion with our with our uh, ward council, and I, I said I have a concern, guys. And I said if you go back to uh, if you go back to the 1830s, in the 1830s, uh, I read a uh, and I've read I've read this letter from Joseph to Emma, and and he, Joseph says to Emma in the letter from Liberty, uh, "I am your only true and living friend on the face of the earth." 
Now, I know that Emma had other friends. <laughs> it was, but in researching it, what you find is that that was a phrase that was used a lot in the 1830s, 1840s. I am your only true and living whatever on the face of the earth. Okay, It gets used in the Doctrine and Covenants as the only true and living church on the face of the earth, which sometimes has been interpreted to mean we have all the truth and everybody else has nothing. Like Or like the, the, the doctrine was there and then the apostles died and then there was nothing good that happened until Joseph knelt in the grove because all creeds are an abomination. And then we miss all of the voices like origin. I was reading a bunch of origin stuff yesterday. <laughs> and he was spot on. This is like 230 AD. It was wonderful stuff. But, but what I was trying to say to the ward council is be careful. Because there are times, for instance, when we're baptizing somebody that maybe was Catholic. And they bring all of their Catholic family. And we're sitting there in a baptism saying, this is Jesus's church. <laughs> This is the only true church on the face of the earth. You're being baptized. Jesus is the head. This is his church. Now you've made it into Jesus's church. And I'm watching their Catholic family kind of get blown away by this. And then we wonder why it is, like one kid I was talking to yesterday, his family's given him flack for his baptism. Well, I don't know everything that's gone on in that family, but all I do know what didn't help was the fact that we hit hard. I remember in his baptism, trying to let everybody know this is Jesus's church, basically, and yours ain't. We have truth and you don't. Versus, and, and I was listening to, to Richard Bushman. He, he, was, he was asked this question. He's now a patriarch. He's been a state president. He's now a patriarch. And they asked him about this. And he says, when I bear my testimony, I stand up and say, I'm just trying to be good. <laughs> It's trying to be good. Now, do we know that the keys are here? Do we know that the ordinances are essential? Yes, all of that is true. But in our working with other people, let's not, not also be offensive and try and say that they haven't heard truth or done beautiful things. And j just like you're saying, there was a lot in terms of understanding a great spirit that set them up to say, now, and, and Ammon's going to start with, let me tell you who the great spirit really is. Let me take the doctrine that you have, and like President Hinckley used to say, let me add to it. Let me bring all bring all the good you have, and we will add to that. Yeah. You know, being that I've heard this question, I like to question it because it has a friend who always tells people that he did not receive testimony in the Holy Spirit. He says, I received my testimony many years before I met Jesus. Ah, yes. When I studied it, when I read it, yeah, but he, but he didn't have to discard everything that he knew to that point because he'd already learned a lot of, um, I mean, yeah. And, and that's, I suspect many more that they already bring. And that's why I say sometimes when we look at good people that just have false traditions, so but if we come in immediately and they're bringing their false traditions and the first thing they heard from us is you're wrong and we're right. Now the walls come up and they're not hearing versus the way that Ammon is doing this, which is I'm coming in like a lowly servant. And I'm going to love you 
and befriend you and earn your trust, now I have the ability to teach you doctrine about where your traditions might be wrong. What's that? But if you go back two or three weeks, you have the model of the gospel and the church. Yeah. The yeah. Okay. So we'd be healthier if we recognize that we have a, a testimony of the truthfulness of yeah. the gospel. Yes. Rather than a testimony of the truthfulness of the church. Because the church is flawed. But but what do we say? What do we teach our kids? I know that the church is true, meaning it's true, meaning it can't be false. And then the church changes. President Nielsen comes along and makes changes, and we go, well, is it more truer? Well, Handbook 2 was, was accurate 30 years, no, 1830. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Section 20, yeah. That's how we met on Fireside a few weeks ago. and I were at Bednar likes to do Q&As. He's good at it. One, one lady stands up and says, Ella Bednar, the sister behind, beside me was baptized yesterday. You have advice for me? Yes, I do. She says, remember the gospel's perfect. It's number five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the church is true. And we go, yeah, okay. You know, and, and, but, but listen to the language that we use on top of that. Church is true. So when, so like when I have somebody sitting in my office last Thursday, who says, I'm leaving, they say, I'm leaving Jesus Christ and I'm leaving the gospel. Is that what they say? No. no. They're leaving the church. The leaving the church. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're leaving the culture, but in this case, it's like, I'm leaving the church. I'm having a hard time believing in the church. Now, we can look at it and go, well, no, it should be the gospel. But guys, quite honestly, we're at fault at this. We don't do a very good job. Sometimes it's our own dang fault. You know, in the process of doubling down, it's going to sound a little bit, but just, just be careful when we're saying, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. I mean, we need to be following the prophet, right? We need to be following the Savior with recognizing that sometimes prophets, like, like Brigham Young, might have had some boo-boos in here. Yeah, and, and because the prophet, like Ammon, is going, like Joseph Smith said, don't follow me. Most of them that have made comments on the subject say, follow me when I'm right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, do, don't use me as an excuse to do things that you shouldn't do. But we, but we do. We, follow, we put our faith, our complete faith, and we should be following the prophets when, like, right. But it's about, I, I just, I'm just amazed how often, though, I just hear, I can't handle the church or I'm leaving the church uh, uh, because of, and I'll say, well, wait a minute, what are you doing? But the, the hard part is, is that because they don't distinguish between the church and the gospel, when, when they're leaving the church, oftentimes they'll say, and I'm not sure about God either. It's like they throw God into the mix. Well, what do you, I, I, okay, so I guess you're going from here to the local Baptist church or you're going to, you're going Catholic on us? Are you, you think an Episcopalian? I, it would, but they don't. They go, now I don't believe, I'm not sure God is true either because they've lumped them all together. Those are traditions. You know, and sometimes, guys, we, we set this up by the way we did it. But anyway, all right. So here's this moment then where he's having to say, 
man, my tradition said this, but wait a minute, the great spirit comes among us and instead of being okay about killing the, the brethren, he's protecting the brethren. That's different. Something has changed here, okay? Got it? Hello? <laughs> it's even worse when you're teaching a class and it goes off. Hey. Okay, so suddenly there's a moment that goes, maybe what the way I've been doing things isn't right. I'm going to have to change because the great spirit is here and doing something different. No. Yeah. And then, and then, then all I, what Ammon is going to start doing, because when somebody, sometimes when somebody's asking questions, we just want to bombard them with knowledge. Okay. You, you want to join the church? Let me tell you everything. What's, what, how's Ammon handling this? He's trying to give him understanding better knowledge. By asking, by, re, by responding to his questions. Yeah, that's right. Well, in fact, he's going to say, you've got questions, so let me answer them. He said, he perceived the thoughts of the king, verse 16, Alma 18. Is it because, you have some questions. You're imploding a little bit. Some of your traditions are imploding here. Is it because thou hast heard that I defended thy servants and flocks uh, in order to defend and slew seven of the brethren with a sling and with a sword and smote off the arms of the other, and to do what? I'm defending the flocks and the brethren and the servants where you would kill them. I'm doing things differently. Is that bothering you a little bit? <laughs> uh, 17, why is it thy marvelings are so great? Hey, listen, I'm just a man. I'm not the great spirit. I'm thy servant, but I'm still in the midst of doing that. What am I doing? I'm serving you. I'm, I'm, I, I, I would try, I tried to picture sometimes uh, at, the, uh, at the Last Supper when, you know, these guys that had been vying for who gets to sit at the head of the table, the very, it's a very uh, Roman especially tradition of who gets to sit near the head of the table. The Jews were big in this as well. And Jesus goes, where's the bowl and the water? <laughs> and in the middle of that, I'm going to teach you about what true leaders do. I'm going to serve you. I start by serving you. Peter's still not getting it. Okay, just watch my whole body then. No, no, no. This is about, this isn't about cleanliness. This is about serving. And I'm going to get down to the dirtiest part of your body, your feet. And I'm going to wash that. Well, wow. Imagine the look on their faces. Because true serve, true leaders serve. 17, I'm a man, thy servant, whatsoever thou doest, which is right, I'll do. Killing your brethren wasn't right. When the king heard these, now he's ready. Okay, now he's asking the question. 18. I mean, we just, see, here's the deal, guys. Sometimes, like we do with text, you just read the text. 
You just read the words. If you want to have a fun experience, side note, I'll go over here, so this is a side note. We think, most scholars agree now, that the first gospel that was actually in print about 20 years after Paul's writings was the book of Mark. And the book of Mark was actually written, we think, as a play. It was written to be verbalized uh, for a variety of reasons. So it was done as a play. And if you think about uh, how, how much of the population, and estimates vary, about how much of that first uh, century population was not able to read. They could read some words in Hebrew, but they may not be able to read a lot of Greek. The best way that they would have heard the gospel was in a play, very Roman thing. Go to the, go to the uh, amphitheater and, and the book of Mark would be uh, performed. And there's a, there's a guy on YouTube uh, Max McLean, who performs the Book of Mark on stage. And it's fabulous. And all he's doing is just reading Mark. But when you start putting all of the voice inflections into that, and you put the, the theatrical side to it, suddenly Mark just jumps. It's like, wow, this is really good. And I, if you haven't done that, even if you just watch for five minutes, I should have given you a video. Max McLean doing the Book of Mark. He is fabulous, okay? Um, so sometimes we read this and we're just reading like a text. Put some, put some voice inflection into this thing, okay? Because can, can you imagine King Lamoni did open his mouth and said, who art thou? Um, art thou the great spirit who knows all things? You think that's what he's saying? Who the heck are you? <laughs> yeah. Who are you, right? But but with the text, how do we like, how do we know why you say you say it's me and you don't know are you mad or not mad? Are you sad? Are you excited? So now we need emojis. <laughs> and can you it's me exclamation point. That could be like it's me <laughs> or it's me. But I, I picture this, and, and I picture Lamoni, who's going through this, who's having his sanctifying doubting moments, and you go, who are you? <laughs> what? Uh, and he's going, are you really the great spirit who knows all things? And now he's ready to go, okay? And he, but he's got one other question. This is really jumping out at him. Who are you? Are you the great spirit? And tell me what power you did. It's about power. In our world, you know, the one that is the strongest is the, is the one that has the power. You're taking care of, you're in the stables taking care of my, you're protecting my, we're coming with the power to do this. Uh, now, and if you'll tell me concerning these things, verse 21, I will desire to give you anything that's needed, but you already need it. I don't really need to do that. Uh, and so here's, here's Mormon giving his commentary of how a servant leader teaches. Ammon said, being wise yet harmless. You could, be, you could be wise. Some of the wisest, powerful people in the world we have to keep in prison. 
The world, uh, who uh, was it, Earl Nightingale, who said, the world's best salespeople have to be locked up. <laughs> yes, they do. Or they run Germ Russia or anything. Okay, so uh, Ammon being wise yet harmless, said in Lamoni. Okay, if I, if you, if, if will you listen to me? Will you hearken to my words if I tell you by what power I do thee? What I really want from you is just to listen. Yeah, I'm there. I will believe all they, thy words, and thus he was caught with guile. Yeah, I've wondered that. What do, what, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, but what he does know is that something's amiss here. This great spirit, he's doing things with all of his power. He's in my stables cleaning, cleaning up. That, that's, that, that's not power. That's not power how I see it. That's not how, power how I define it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I will believe all thy words. You go. So now Ammon can now speak with boldness and say, believe that there's a God. I'm going to start from the beginning. Uh, I don't know what you mean. Well, is there a great spirit? Well, yeah. Yeah, I got that one. Uh, well, no, that's God. Oh. Believest thou this great spirit who created all things? And he says, yes. Our tradition was, probably coming down from Laman and Lemuel and all that, is... There is a great God who created all these things in heaven and earth. I believe he created on earth, but we don't know about this heaven thing. Well, no, heavens are above the earth. Oh, well, heavens is where God dwells and his holy angels are above the earth. Yeah. Okay. And you just watch. Uh, and, then th and then he drops this in here. And he looketh down on the children of men, verse 32, and he knows the thoughts and intents of his heart, for by his hand they were all created from the beginning. And now he's going, oh. So are you then sent from God? Yes. Well, all right. I'm a man. He created. And then what? And a portion of his spirit dwells in me. And then where does he go? How you see the problem is the problem. People aren't going to, I think it was uh, uh, Bruce McConkie who said, people aren't going to understand the fall unless they understand, first of all, the plan of creation and the plan of salvation. So you don't understand the need to repent unless you understand the fall, and you can't understand the fall until you understand the plan. Okay? Oh, so, well, then he said these words. He began with the creation of the world, the creation of Adam. He told him all things concerning the fall of man, rehearsed and laid more in the records, and now he's going to go ahead and he starts teaching. Okay? Now, can I show you one of the mistakes that I think we make in our... We had the missionaries over last night, and we had a, a lovely visit, but there are times that I would like to, to the side of me would like to say, can, can I help you with some ideas? Uh, I tried to do this a couple of times. They're, they're like, well, Brother Hinckley's being weird again. <laughs> let, 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 let me show you the mistake that I think we, we often make. I'm going to hop over here to, If somebody's going to join the Book of Mormon or jo join the church and they're going to read the Book of Mormon, what verse do we want to have them read? Moroni 10, 4, and 5, right? 
Well, we missed we missed verse three. We're going to go to four. We shall receive these things. I would exhort you to ask God. Uh, and then we're looking for the lightning strike answer. I didn't know. I prayed. Now I do know. Baptize me. And then by next week, I am gone because I found something else better. And I'm not sure. The lightning strike was what I thought the lightning strike was, especially when it starts to get hard. I'm out. Okay. Well, a lot, here's, here's what happens a lot of times. Ask God, the eternal father, is this the great spirit? Is this the great spirit that understands that whatever I do is okay? Or Moroni was trying to tell us, wait. Verse 3, I would exhort you that when you should read these things, if it be wisdom in God, what does he want you to first, before you ask God, what does he first want you to do? Well, they use the yeah. word read a couple times, and they use the word receive a couple times. Yes. Those two words, so many people think mean the same thing, and they do not. They don't. They don't. But what is it that he's wanting them to understand? I would, when you read, remember what? How merciful, it's about, it starts, it starts, it starts with mercy. It starts with the love of Christ. You need to remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from where? From the creation of Adam. Is that in the Book of Mormon? No. From the creation of Adam down to the time you shall receive these things and ponder it in your heart. Where is that? That's right. Absolutely. It's in the Bible. It's in the in other words, sometimes we're asking people to read about the Book of Mormon without understanding the mercy of God and the plan. and and it, and and what, one of the reasons why we have the Old Testament as flawed as that thing is, is that over and over and over you have a God, like a God of the Israelites saying, man, you guys keep messing up, but just turn around. Let me be your father. Let me be your mother. Let me be your, just turn around. Stop fighting. Let me fight your battles. Yes, you keep screwing up, but I mean, all of Psalms is like David going, man, did I mess up? And he goes, so please, you know, or Job or whatever. It's the mercy of the, if we're seeing the scriptures as the mercy of God, understand the mercy of God before you ever start praying about the Book of Mormon. Unless they do, if they get the mercy of God and think about a number of very Christian people that it's like, like we have a lady that joined the church just recently uh, African American gal who is fantastic, but guess what? Guess what kind of church she grew up in? Trust Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is my friend. I, it's about Jesus. Yes. Now we took all of her trust Jesus thing. Let me add a little bit more to that trust Jesus that you've lived your entire life with. She already got the mercy. The Book of Mormon made plenty of sense from somebody who understands mercy. But what if you're Muslim? What if you're Hindi? What if you're atheist? Well, we better play, we better put down some groundwork. And here's, here's Lamoni 
believing in a great spirit, but doesn't understand how the great spirit works. Well, let me tell you the plan of salvation. Then I'll tell you how merciful the God has been from the, and, and, and by the way, Mormon saying, I don't know how much Mormon knew, and he certainly didn't write, the Book of Mormon prophets don't, don't write very much about the preexistence. That's not its purpose. The purpose is testify of Christ and that God keeps his promises. That's in the title page, right? Not a lot about the preexistence. Whether they, if they knew about it, they didn't write about it. I don't know how much they knew. But we don't get it from the Book of Mormon. But a lot of this stuff, how merciful the Lord has been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam. Oh, no. Is that when the plan of salvation started? Yeah. Well, even before that, where did it start? God, in the midst of intelligence, found himself surrounded by intelligence, put together a plan by which they could become like him, Abraham. So the plan of salvation, the atonement, the, re the great reconciliation all begins before this life. That's one of those things that we in the restoration understand that most other Christian churches don't even have a clue about is the pre-existent life. Guess who did know it? Origin in the second century. Origin knew it. Origin taught it. Uh, and and when we got when we got around to and he knew it from Jerome. Origin knew it, and and the church said you're a heretic and we're burning your books. And they declared him an anathema and, and a heretic and, and he's still seen in the Catholic Church as he wrote some good things, but he's still a heretic. Why? Because he believed in a pre-existent Jesus and a pre-existent life for everybody. That's just out of the question. Can't do that. We understand that. That's what we bring to the restoration. All right, so comments on all this before we start wrapping up. Yeah. So, um, first off, the plan of salvation started with God wanting us to be like Him. Yeah. But before that was God's plan where we became like Him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we have reference to that, but we really don't understand it. If you look at people that you know that have left the church, it's almost universal. Yes. Yes. Boy, is that true. If you don't understand God's mercy, you have no motivation to change. In fact, you actually see the church or the culture as the problem. They are abusive. They are rigid. I have PTSD from my being raised in the church. It's not a merciful place. Because what what was uh, what was Cain's first statement after he killed Abel? And then he says, "Now I am free. I don't want to be controlled. Now I am free. I felt controlled." Well, we don't necessarily feel controlled when somebody's helping us out of mercy and love. We accept. We're more likely to accept that if the gospel is packaged in a fist. Then now we're being controlled. All I know is that if I leave the church, 
I get a 10% raise and Sunday's off. For, for now. Yes. Started out, the issue was making an offering without, without uh, the right perspective of heart. L Lucifer taught Cain to make an offering. He says, "Do that. Do it this way." You don't have to follow the guidelines. Just do it your way. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you, you're smarter, you can do this. Okay, uh, and it involves. So you're right. So we're going to peel off the mercy side of things. So. Uh, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of break this off here a little bit. Any final comments on this? Because, uh, again, I just think the, these things underlie this great change. Because, and, and one of the reasons I've been trying to go a little bit slower through this, again, I think the anti-Nephi-Lehi's are such a critical part of this book. And we're trying to, and what we're seeing is the origin stories. You know, you never watch an Avenger movie without finding out, the, how did Spider-Man become Spider-Man? How did Iron Man become Iron Man? How did Thor become? Okay, there's all these origin stories. This is the origin stories of one of the great people in the Book of Mormon, the anti-Nephi, the group that did it right and didn't go bad every three years. What, how, what was different about them? And there's a number of factors, but the one fact, number one factor I want to, is how they were introduced to the gospel, how they became converted to the gospel, and what they knew in the long run about what the gospel was supposed to be for them. That's why I just think this is the most important part. So, all right, final comments for we talk good? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Multiple ways. Sure. And and I, I think the one place that we have the preexistence, by the way, in the Book of Mormon, the way I read it, is uh, Alma 13. The, the first seven verses of Alma 13, I think, are about my own interpretation. I think that those first seven verses are about the preexistence. But that's about as good as we get. But that and, and so we get foundation. But like, what, what, what did the foundations look like? Well, it was never the intent of the Book of Mormon to give us the, you know, sometimes people say, well, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon. Well, where's the word of wisdom? Where's the, where's the temple? Where's the, where's the preexistence? Where's the, where is, where's, you got, oh, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Book of Mormon's purpose was to testify to Christ. And that promises were made to your fathers. And when you read them, you're going to find out he was merciful. Oh, sure. But that's not its intent. I, I get you, but that's not its intent. Yeah, I, you're right on. So, all right. Well, well again, um, I bury my testimony that there's meat here. And uh, thank you for kind of diving through it. And uh, I will see you in uh, three weeks after we have, providing that uh, Cindy survives her trip on the camel in. Uh, in Wadi Rum. Camels love her. They eat out of her hand. They, they, they snarl at everybody else. They love Cindy. That's even after the camel is.
down, even after the camel's down. Yeah, so we're doing trust falls off the top of the camel here. <laughs> okay. On that note, uh, I'll, I'll leave these things with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jim, can we get a closer prayer from you? And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.